Now, as I talk about champions, one of the things I've done a couple times here is teach on this from the life of David, and uh, not this particular way I'm doing it, but, and I would put a boxing ring up here, maybe you remember that a couple times, and talk about the life lessons of Rocky and tied it in with David. And when you think of Rocky, man, you think of that, that ultimate champion, the underdog that fights and pushes through and, 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 and accomplishes great things. But the story behind Rocky is just as powerful. Sylvester Stallone, who's the, who wrote Rocky, but also was the lead actor and so on. Uh, what's interesting about him, he didn't start out, you know, in life doing so well. Actually, when he was born, everybody thinks, oh, it's so cool, his face is crooked, and he's got some kind of deep voice, right? Well, what happened when he was born, the forceps damaged his face and deformed his face. That's why his face is kind of offset and his one side of lips up and all that. And so he knew as a very young boy that he wanted to do moves. And the reason he wanted to do movies is because he wanted to change people's lives. And at a very young age, he knew that. He didn't want to do television shows. He didn't want to work at anything else but to do movies. But what was interesting in his life, uh, as he started his journey as a young man, and he moved uh, to New York, and he was wanting to get into a movie, and, and it just seemed like nothing was working. And, and But he was, like, not working any jobs just enough because he knew if he picked a career up, he'd lose the outcome he wanted. He'd lose the dream. He'd get so caught up in life that he would miss uh, this hunger that he needed to accomplish. Well, he would go around. He said sometimes so he did over 1,500 visits to agents in New York. Well, there's not that many agents in New York. But what happened is he was visiting five to nine times every one of them. And finally, he got so broke, he just went to this one agent, and the guy, he waited all day. The guy wouldn't see him. And he'd seen him like nine times, and he's like, everybody's telling him, why are we going to put you in a movie? You look like a thug, you, you talk funny, your face is crooked, you kind of come across dupe, you know, kind of dopey or stupid. You don't come across like someone we could really do something with. And so, you know, he heard this day after day after day. And then finally, and it, you know, who would ever think that's, that's Sylvester Stallone, Sly, right? And so, finally, he stayed all night. The, the guy came in the next day. And he wouldn't leave the waiting area. He slept in the waiting area and waited for this. This guy, what are you doing here? Come into my office. And he says, I don't know why I'm doing this. You look stupid. You sound stupid. But I'll get you a part. Just get out of my office. So he got out of his office, and he got him a part, and he was a, a thug getting beat up in a movie for 20 seconds. That's, that was his big role. And then he went on. He was like, well, this is not working out. So he... he uh, it got to the point he lost electricity in his apartment, and he had to go during the day to the library. And he went in there, and he read some, some Edgar Allan Poe writings that really inspired him. And when he read those, he really decided, I want to write. And uh, he got so hungry and so cold that he finally, he had this big dog he loved, and it was actually in the movie, Rocky. He loved this big dog. And he finally couldn't feed the dog, so he took it and stood out in front of a liquor store for all day long trying to sell his only true love in his life, his dog. And finally, he had a guy that was interested, and he wanted, you know, $50. If you can give me $50 for him, the guy got him down to 25 and he sold his dog. And, I mean, at this point, he said, man, I'm, it can't get any lower than this. I'm the lowest of the low, and he's miserable. 
And through reading those writings in the library day after day, it inspired him. And he watched a movie. He watched the fight, the Muhammad Ali fight. And he was fighting this, this, this underdog. And he was just beating this guy to a pulp right there. It is. And it was like sickening how bad he was beating this guy. And he said, it clicked. And I got an idea for this movie. And he said, when I got an idea for this movie, I went back and I wrote for 20 straight hours and wrote the entire movie out. Now, you think that's great, right? So he's like, okay, I'm going to sell it. So he went around for, you know, two months. Nobody interested in the same thing he did. Finally, he found a group. They're like, oh, it's just kind of a story. Happy, good, lucky. That's not a big deal. Who wants to do that? Finally, he found some guys that were interested in producing this movie. And I know this is a little slow, but stick with me. It'll go somewhere. And some guys were interested in doing it. And they said, okay. They said, "Uh, we'll give you $125,000 for your movie. Well, you know, a guy that just sold his dog. And is going to the library to stay warm during the day so he doesn't freeze them. You'd think, okay, he said, great, great. He said, the only kid, he said, so, but the key is I have to be the lead actor. They're like, oh, no, you're a writer, not an actor. Look at you. you you're, no, you're not a writer. You're a writer, you're not an actor. He said, well, I, 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 I can't do it. They said, well, if you can't do it, that's it. He said, God, took his script and left. Left $125,000. So they called him again. He comes back and meets with him again. They said, okay, here's what we're doing. We're going to pay you $200 and $50,000 to not be in your own movie. Wow. I mean, you know, here a guy again, you know, he lost his dog. No, I know. I have to be the lead role. I am. They said, well, we want, what was the blonde cutie guy, Ryan, uh, Ryan O'Neill? They said, we got Ryan O'Neill a star. I don't know if y'all have a picture of Ryan O'Neill. Yeah, does that look like Rocky to you? I mean, you know, he's like, Ryan O'Neill can't play Rocky. I'm Rocky. He left. So then, he, then they call him back a little bit later. He comes back. They said, listen, let's end this foolishness. Let us do this movie. We don't want to lose money. We'll give you $325,000 for this movie. Wow. And he still stood his ground, was getting ready to walk out. They said, no, wait, 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 wait. I'll tell you what we'll do. Since you're, we want to produce this movie. We're thinking to do good. But with you starring at it, who knows what happened? You have to take the same risk as us. Instead of $325,000, you get $35,000. He said, Deal. And so you'd say, well, what was the first thing he did? I mean, he got $35,000. He can't, you know, lost his dog, all that. He goes and stands in front of the liquor store for like three days looking for the guy that had his dog, looking for the guy that had his dog. Finally, he comes by. He said, sir, sir, I'm sure you love my dog as much as I do. He's a great dog. But I, I, I've got some money now, and I'd like to purchase him off of you, and, and I'll give you $100 for him. The guy said, this dog's not for sale. He said, well, sir, I love that dog. I know he's a good, I'll give you $500. He said, this dog is not for sale. I'll never sell it for any amount. He said, $1,000. And the guy said, no. Wow. So the guy was pretty shrewd. He cut a pretty good deal. You know what he gave for that dog? $15,000. The guy got a part in the movie and $15,000 for the dog. And the dog was in the movie too because he loved that dog and he wanted that dog. That movie, they spent $1 million to produce it, to make it, and it grossed $200 million in its first time around. Now, over the years, who knows how much. Well, why did I tell you that story? You see, he knew there was a champion in him, and he wasn't going to let anybody else take on his role. He was willing to stand for it. He was willing to die for it. He was willing to believe for it. You see, what if Christians, we could get that convicted about being a child of God, to being a champion that God called us to be. What if we were that hungry to say, I am not going to miss God's will for my life. 
you know, it's not, you don't even hear that. Well, what's God's will for your life? That, when I was coming up in ministry, everybody, you seeking God's will. Now it's kind of like whatever fits, as long as you're okay. No, what is God's will? Why are you on this planet? Well, I'll tell you one thing, you're not on this planet to be a loser. I didn't say you wouldn't lose. But a loser is someone that never fights back to win again, right? And a champion they don't just get knocked down. They don't get knocked down. They're always getting up. But a loser will stay down and never get up. You see, when you're going through this time and you want to learn some lessons from the cave and you hang out with a guy like David, you've got to realize that champions lose occasionally. That champions, it doesn't just happen. Everything just turns up good for them. They're the happiest and the most intelligent. and they're the, oh, No, 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 no. When you look at the life of David, you begin to understand life is messy. Have you ever come to church? And I'm sure maybe Pam and them at this time feel this. Have you ever come to church and it's like, am I the only one going through a tough time? Am I the only one going through a heartache? Am I the only one going through fear? Am I the only one battling addiction? Am I the only one going through issues that I I can't control myself that are tearing me down or tearing me apart? Anybody ever felt that coming into church? Why are all these happy people here? I'm not happy. Somebody should be miserable with me, right? Misery loves company. But see, what I want you to realize, if you're going to learn lessons from the cave, if you're going to learn to be the champion God called you to be, you've got to believe the champion is inside you. See, if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. But you have to, we have to come to a place in the body of Christ, especially our mission being difference makers, right? If we're going to be difference makers, then we need to allow God to make a difference in us so we can make a difference in others. And I say, think about that, and I just thought, man, when I heard his life story, I thought, wow, that's cooler than the movie. I mean, the movie you kind of expect, and you see what's going on, and here's one of my favorite all-time movies. But man, when you look at that, and you think about it, you go, wow. That's pr- the story behind the movie was more extreme than the movie itself. So never underestimate a champion as great as you think they are. They're even greater on the inside. Did you get that? As great as you may think they are, there's greatness even greater than that on the inside. Because what's happening inside you is more important than what's happening to you or around you. Remember like Mark says, Pastor Mark, what's he say? Life's not happening to you, it's happening for you. But see, if you're going to walk out and become a champion, what you've got to realize, you can't become a champion without some fights. You can't become a champion without some events that are life-changing events, events that you can't control, you can't fix. You need God, and you need the right relationships in your life. You see, what happens is the enemy wants to isolate you. He wants you to get you off to yourself. He wants to get you alone. You know, like, that's why J- Jesus gave the parable when you had the 99 sheep here, but 101 sheep left. He left the 99 to go get the one because that might be the champion. You see, God sees the greatness in you. The key is, do you see the greatness in you? 
The Bible tells us that there's, God is no respecter of persons, but sometimes we kind of feel that way, don't we? Must respect that person. You know, they're happier than me. They got a better marriage than me, or they're more anointed than me, or they have a greater income or career than me. And it's so easy to fall into that cycle. And what we do, we don't want to be too hot or too cold, so we don't compare ourselves to people that we think are really hot and got it going. We don't compare ourselves to the ones really down here. There's no comparison. We'll find someone right around us and just put ourselves a notch above. But see, that's not, getting by is not being great. Now, I talked to you last week about through is important. The reason through is important, every time you go through a tragic event, as painful as it is, you're going to become a greater man or woman of God. You're going to have more wisdom. You're going to have more power. You're going to have more strength. You're going to have more influence from God for God. I mean, whose stories, biographies do you read or watch or listen to? You know, would, would you want to go to a great movie that starts out great? It's great in the middle. You know, it's a guy and he has this amazing life at the beginning. Then he has an amazing life in the middle and the movie ends with even a more amazing life. Who wants that story? Who wants to watch that movie? But that's the kind of life we seem to want to live. We want this life that's just kind of like, oh, great and extraordinary, but extraordinary means it's extraordinary. To be in church after the kind of events you've had this week is extraordinary. Ordinary people don't do that. But see, they understand the power in relationships. And that's what I want you to understand. If you're going to be a true difference maker for God and for others, and if you're going to be a true champion, the champion that is on the inside of every one of us, every one of us, there's a champion on the inside of you. If you're going to be that, then you need the right relationships in your life. So let's talk a few minutes about the cave, right? Let me turn there in my Bible first, and I'll read. It's only like four verses, so it's not really complicated to read, is it? If y'all want to, turn to 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22. 1 Samuel 22, verse 1. It says, David therefore departed from there and escaped. Who? David's running? David is trying to escape something? Escape to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went there, down there to him. <clears throat> verse 2. It's not even four verses. Verse 2. And everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to him. So he became captain over them, and there were about 400 men with him. So then there's this big time period in there that it doesn't say anything about as much. But in that time, think of all the things. These men came in broke, busted, and disgusted, I say. They came in broke, in debt, in fear, running for their own lives, running to David. Now, what's interesting about this, in verse 22, 1a says, David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. You see, even champions run sometimes. Even champions are cowards occasionally. Even champions run in fear sometimes. So don't beat yourself up if you've blown it in your life a time or two. Don't beat yourself up. That's why it's condemnation. It condemns your future. It condemns your future. It contaminates your thinking. If you focus on where you've missed it and not taking it, taking it as a learning event in your life, 
so you can grow beyond it and grow others and grow into what God wants you to be and who he wants you to be, then what happens is it won't be a lesson. It'd be a lever that pulls you back. It'd be something that holds you back. So what we want to do is if you're looking at this and, look and, and, and condemning yourself, Satan doesn't even have to give any attention to you. Because you're not going to have faith, you're not going to have energy, you're not going to have joy, you're not going to have peace, because you'll constantly, every time you start to have a good day, you'll think, yeah, but I blew it last year, or I blew it 15 years ago, or I blew it last week. And then what happens is God's grace is sufficient. You repent. That means you change your mind, direction, behavior. You give it to God. You, re- you give him your sin, and he gives you his righteousness. And as you do that, you build momentum in your life. And the more positive you focus, focus on, the less negative you will get drawn into. So even champions falter in tough times occasionally. David had moments when he forgot. I mean, this is the guy that killed Goliath in front of everyone. This is the guy that went out, Saul, King Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens of thousands. This is a guy that ran for, for his life from his king who he could have taken his life, but he knew not to touch God's anointing. So he wasn't going to do that. He was just going to do whatever he had to do if it meant sacrificing his own life. I think it was recorded that there was like on 18 different occasions that he had opportunity to take King Saul's life and didn't. Think about that. The man is trying to kill you that has a kingdom and an army behind him and you just have some men running, killing people you love and know. But he still, because God did not release him to do it, take the king's life. You know why? Because there were some events that Saul was going to bring into David's life that was going to make David, David. Yeah. There were some events that Saul was going to bring into David's life that was going to make David, David. There's events that's been in my life, some lasted a day or a month, and some lasted one or two, lasted 10 years. And it wasn't fun. But that's who made Marion. That's why Marion is who Marion is. There was things in my childhood that happened, and I can't even really share with you. But that's who made me. That's what made me. Events, people, things, good, bad, and ugly. That's what makes you a champion. The question is, how do you let it affect you? Sure, like anyone else, at first you could be down, upset, frustrated. But then you take time to work through it with God, and he brings you even at a greater temper of steel or, or, or more sharp, a, a more keener weapon in his hand. Because, you know, when you've been through pain, you can relate to pain and you can minister to pain and you can help people come out of pain sooner and become greater than they were before. You see, that's the key, guys. Why are you here? The Bible says life is what? Time is what? Like a day is like a thousand years in heaven. And actually, an hour is like not even a blink, right? So think about it. We're all caught up in 70, 80, 90, 100 years, and God's like, it's not even a blink. It's not even a blink, but to us, it's huge. Why? He's preparing you to reign. When you get to heaven, you're not going to sit there, you know, with a little fat dude with a harp, a little cherub, and, you know, they make cherubs like they're little fat dudes with little harps. Cherubs are the most vicious strongest entities other than God that exist. Cherubs are the ones that lead God's army. They're the ones that kick Satan out of heaven. But Christianity makes them want to like they're with a little arrow and they have a harp and they're, come on, man, that's, that's what Satan wants you to see. What do you really see? 
When you see clearly, what do you really see? Do you see something as a dangerous opportunity? Or do you see something as certain defeat? See, and that's the key. That's the key with becoming a champion. Realize when you're down for the count and everybody thinks you're dead, it's done, it's, and you come back, their respect for you changes. Even if they don't like you, their respect for you changes. Even if they continue to gossip and lie about you, they still know that you know and they know you overcame. You see, that's how you live the life of a champion. You keep overcoming. So don't ever underestimate the power of a temporary defeat. Don't ever underestimate the punch you take. The key is, do you get back up? You might get up slower. You might have to have some people lift you and help you up and push you back in the ring. Right? But the key is you got up. Satan's going to leave you alone after a while because he's tired. You keep getting up. He'll go pay attention to somebody a little easier than you. He'll come back and test you later, but you'll be at a higher level to deal with him later. You see, sometimes we need people to come to us. What happened with David when he's running for his life? He didn't want the responsibility of people. He could have gathered an army against Saul, but he chose not to. That He had more integrity in that. So verse 22, it says the second part of it, it says, when his brothers and his fathers and his household heard about it, they went down uh, to him. So David escaped alone to the cave, but not only his father and family, but other people in the community, 400 men plus families. That, that's a lot of people. Wives, kids, and all that. You see, David probably wasn't feeling much like a champion to run off and hide. And he probably wasn't feeling like much of a champion. Now his family and people in his community and people used to serving and people that are already hurting and broke and in debt and in distress, the Bible says, come to him. And he's like, How? I mean, at first, he's like, God, come on. I'm trying to get over here so I don't kill the king. I'm trying to get over here so I don't get killed by the king. And now you bring all these weak, hurting, broke, distressed people to me. See, never underestimate the events that happen in your life. Never underestimate the experiences that write your story. Because whenever something happens, it's a greater opportunity for you to become greater than you ever were before. But you see, the difference is these men saw the champion in David that David thought was no longer there. They saw him kill the giant. They saw him, and some of them were probably with him out on the raids and winning battles they shouldn't have won and so on. They saw him honor the king even when he dishonored David. They saw that how he handled the praises of the people, kept the, deflecting it back to the king. They saw his character. Character is not just an event in your life, good or bad. The root word for character and its meaning and where it's derived from is to build or to be a builder. So that's why it says if you have good character, what's that mean? You've made good decisions building your life. And people can depend on you because you've been built, built well. That's what character is. It's the temperament. It's the temper. It's the, 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 the strength of the steel, right, and how it's shaped. So God used people that he connected their hearts to David so David could rediscover the champion in himself. Because what happened, once he began to pour into them, because they were a lot worse off than he was in a sense, all of a sudden, 
Iron sharpens iron, and they build up one another. Think about this. So I want to ask you, what is inside you that other people need? What is inside you that God put inside you? Events you went through, gifts you have, wisdom you have. What is inside of you that draw people to you? See, you can tell what's inside you that draws others to you because you have certain things to give them. And the more you sow, the more you grow. The more you sow, the more you grow. The more you take time to share, to love, to lift up, to pick up. And, and, and you'll get lied on. You, you'll have people steal. You'll have people cheat. You'll have people do stuff. But you don't let that affect you. See, when you have something in you that lifts others up, it's not the champions that's going to run to you. It's the potential champions. But you underestimate your value because you're like, well, only the crazy, broke, disgusting ones come to me. You know, only the weird people at work want my advice. Right? Only the crazy people in my kid's school want, want to hang out around me. Huh, maybe there's something to that. Maybe you got something to give. Maybe God knows he couldn't trust this one because it's so broken, it's so fragile, he had to bring it to one of his best champions. See, never underestimate the champion in you. And here's what's wild. When you're a champion, even your enemies know you're a champion. Isn't that cool about David? Even his enemies knew he was a champion. First Samuel, it says in, down in verses 10 and 11, you were just there in 21, it says, that day, David fled from Saul and went to, Achish, went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Isn't David the king of the, of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul has slain his thousands, and David has slain his tens of thousands. Let me tell you something. The devil, you want the devil to know your name. You want the liars and the cheats and the racists and the hateful, ugly people to know your name. Because if they know your name and they mess with you, they're going to see a bunch of God in their life and they're going to see you rise up to the occasion and bring transformation if transformation is possible for that person. If it's not, shake the dust off your feet and wait for the next one God brings in front of you. Even in the difficult times when David didn't believe in himself, he still didn't stop being a champion. Even though you may not feel like a champion doesn't stop you from being a champion. You know, if you're the tough guy and you don't feel like, you know, getting into a, a, a fight or something, it seems like the guys that want to try the toughest guys always find you. You're like, man, I'm trying to have fun. I don't want to deal with that or whatever. Or if you're the one that's usually the one that's got the best ideas and that, the ones that want to be you challenge you. So whatever gift or talent you had is going to be challenged even when you don't feel like revealing it. Be nice if we could just reveal the champion in us when we want to, right? So, when we look at this, when you get a champion with potential champions, that's where transformation takes place. That's where hope begins. That, that, that's where the power of transformation happens. When you're transformed, that means you're transferred. To be transformed, there's a total change. And, and what happens is what you were, you're no longer. You're something more. Kind of like 2 Corinthians 5, 17. When you give your life to Christ, what? You become a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things pass away and all things become new. 
If you say something's killing me, then that just means you're getting ready for another transformation. Right? So we see in uh, 1 Samuel 22, 2, all those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their leader. About 400 men were with him. So what's this say? The right relationships in your cave will cause the champion to rise in you. There's times I've been almost on the border of going into depression again, and then I get something to help somebody do something, and it just like clicks and breaks it loose, breaks it off my life. You see, the reason some people fall into old strongholds is not because uh, they avoid it. It's because they don't use that gift to bring other people out of that same stronghold. You know, people who's been through tragic divorce, they're the best people to minister to people and marriages on the rocks. People that's come through addiction are the best people to minister to the addicted. The people who have been abused are the best people to minister to these. That doesn't mean that we can't minister from where we are, but when you're ministering from what you beat and overcome, nobody can convince you that God doesn't move. Nobody can convince you that you can't make it and that you can't get through. Nobody. The right re relationships are important, but you must never underestimate your potential. You, you, you can, don't allow the enemy to sell yourself short when you're saying things like, well, you know, I probably could have done that a few years ago. Or, well, maybe I'll be able to do that later in life. Or, well, you know, she did it, but, you know, she, she made better grades in college than me, so it probably fits her better. You start selling yourself off or selling yourself short. Man, rise up and be that man or woman of God God called you to be. Be like old Sly Stone, right? Sylvester Stallone, right? Be, be that guy that says, hey, I don't care if you're offering me $325,000. I'm taking my toys and going home. I'm not giving up my character. I'm not giving up my dream. I'm not giving up my legacy, no matter how much you pay me. Amen. See, but if you haven't already made that determination in your heart, you're going to be an easy sell. We find out in 1 Chronicles chapter 11 what came to the ragtag, depressed group of men and after Ziglag, of course. First Chronicles 11.10 says, These were the chiefs of David's mighty men. They together with all of Israel gave his, his kingship strong support to extend it over the whole land as the Lord had promised. All of David's mighty men, all of his, the chiefs that ran his group, they came out of the cave with him. They were cowards and they became champions. They came in full of distress. They came out champions. Distress means under great pressure or stress. I want to ask you, what has God positioned you to do? What, what, and what is God, we call it called, right? It's really a position. The word actually in the Greek means legally summoned. So when you're called, you've been legally summoned. When you're called, it's not, a, it's not an option. It's a command. And every one of you have a calling on your life. Now, that doesn't mean that you're called to be uh, up here doing this, but you're called. Every one of us have a calling to bring in the harvest wherever we're at. Who would ever dream the dream that God has for you? The only one that can limit it is you. Because you can't fulfill a dream without belief. You can't fulfill a dream without belief. You can't fulfill a dream without faith. Faith. You can't have faith without what? Hope. 
without that expectancy in you that something good is going to happen. Something good. What if you just got up every morning, even though the enemy says you'll never make it, it'll never happen, you say, but it's possible. You don't even have to be so certain, yes, the Lord gave me this. Just what if you said, but it's possible. Yeah, but you'll never have that job, but it's possible. Well, you'll never have that kind of marriage. Yes, but it's possible. Why is it possible? You're still breathing. And if you're still breathing, anything is possible. As a matter of fact, all things are possible to those who believe. And what Satan wants is to get you to say, I guess it's not my time. I guess it's not possible for me. It was for them. I thought it was for me, but all the stuff that's went on, it's not possible for me. Is there a dream you left back there somewhere? Is there a vision that you just put on the sidelines and push to the back of your mind? And, and, and maybe that wasn't ultimately what God had for you, but he put that desire because it caused you to grow. Maybe he's got something even bigger and greater than the vision you left behind in front of you. You see, endings, listen to me, endings are necessary. There's a great book called Necessary Endings, a chapter in a great book called Necessary Endings. Endings are necessary. If there's never anything ending, there can be no new beginning. And if there's no new beginning, there's no birthing. You see, we, the most important time is not the beginning to the ending, it's the transition, the in-between. What happened while they were going? While they were going, they were healed. While they were going, they were healed. While they were going. See, see, if you just keep going and keep your heart open to God, it's possible. 